Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you tuning in. We've got a great guest today, someone who used to come into the studio quite a bit when we had our Lansing radio program. Mike Rogers is a former member of Congress, and he represented Michigan's 8th Congressional District. He was an officer in the United States Army and an FBI agent. He's got all kinds of stuff going on now. He works with the National Security Institute. He also works with an organization called LEAD. We're going to talk all about that. Congressman, how are you? I am doing great, Tony. It's great to see you finally again. Been too long. Right. Yes, it has. All right. So since you were last in Congress, take us to where you've been and what you've been doing. Yeah, well, one of the things I wanted to do is kind of stretch my legs a little bit there and to go to maybe my higher and better use at the time. I had just finished up really a great run as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, and I was on the Energy and Commerce Committee, really. And I just decided it was time to pass the baton. I never saw myself as a 20-year politician to any degree. And so I had a real interest in cybersecurity and all things tech. So I was able to get out and pursue those things. So I'm on a board that does quantum computing optimization problems, which I'm really excited. This is when my wife tells me I get my geek on, but uh, <laughs> I love this stuff. And why is because it's solving real problems using technology. And I'm the chairman of the board of a company called MITRE. And MITRE is a not-for-profit public mission company. It was actually started by Eisenhower. And what it does is it services 6,500 engineers of all stripes, and they solve big problems for the U.S. government. The Defense Department and intelligence services will come and say, we have this big problem. There's no commercial product for this. Can you help us try to figure this out? And so we set people on to these really hard problems, everything from quantum to AI, everything that's in the news today, high-end cybersecurity, nuclear command and control, we get to deal with all of that. So I love all of that. It's been exciting. And I've really enjoyed the opportunity to get out and get in the business world. I've made some small investments. And one company I'm on called IronNet Cybersecurity is doing well. And we're out there providing real solutions in network security, trying to keep the bad guys out of good people's networks. Congressman Hall, concerned should we be when it comes to cybersecurity? You know, one of the things we like to talk about here in media business is how good of a job does the media cover different aspects of business? And we hear a little bit about Russia hacking and China and North Korea. How bad is it? Oh, it's bad. Unfortunately, it's bad. And what the private sector do is sometimes keeping up. There are some companies better than others. But it's such a hard thing. If you can't see it and touch it, how do you explain it? And this is in the media side of business. This is what I've found. It's just so hard for them to cover a story because it's how do you put it on TV? Really hard to do to get people's attention and interest on how serious this is. The one thing that did happen was, you know, the things like the colonial pipeline that actually impacted gas prices. Remember where there was a ransomware attack. It shut down the network. It shut down their ability to actually produce and pump natural gas. And what happened was it started impacting businesses and you know consumers up and down the eastern seaboard. So that got people's attention like, OK, now maybe I get it. The cyber thing is real, but it's bad. You have those nation states that you talked about. And then the next level down are very sophisticated criminal organizations who use almost nation state like tradecraft in their operations, including ransomware. That's why you see such a rise in ransomware. So it's bad and it's getting worse and the government just quite isn't yet configured to deal with this problem in a way that I think is most helpful. Why is that? Well, I candidly, the political narrative on what was 
happening through all this got screwed up with a guy named Edward Snowden, who came out and said, the National Security Agency is doing all these horrible things. He's reading your emails and all of your personal information. They have all of it, which by the way, was not true, but we couldn't get ahead of the narrative. The narrative was already out there. People believed it. And so what happened was it had a political ramification of we're going to keep the National Security Agency away from helping protect U.S. networks. So imagine this, I care how bad it is, the National Security Agency, who is the best players in the field and national security in the world, can't protect domestic networks. And so what they can do is they find something bad that's coming overseas, going to hit the United States or a business in the United States. They have to send an email over to the FBI and say, hey, by the way, this is coming in. You might want to do it. Well, you've already lost when you send an email, right? It's too slow. And so by that time, you know, the FBI goes and knocks on your door and says, clean up on aisle nine. And so that's just not a system that I think is consistent with, with the level of threat of cybersecurity. And we just need to shake ourselves out of that. Remember, Edward Snowden now lives in right outside of Moscow, being paid for by the Russian government. And so we ought to put all that in perspective and say, okay, hmm. If we know we're getting attacked by them and they're having success and we have handcuffed some of the best players on the field, matter of fact, they're not even on the field, they're still in the locker room, maybe we ought to rethink how we use protection for American networks. Congressman, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about the FBI. I got a lot of questions for you about that. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with former Congressman Mike Rogers, and I couldn't wait to talk with you, Congressman, about the FBI. Let's set aside the FBI as a whole, and let's just talk about the hierarchy. Before I ask you that question, though, I thought it was strange that when you decided not to run for Congress again, and President Trump was just stepping into office Were you ever asked to head up the FBI with all the great experience you have? I can say that I have one of the great honors. I had an endorsement by the FBI Agents Association. So these are all the agents who served and either have retired or moved on. And they never did that. I was the first guy ever to get that endorsement said, hey, if you're going to hire a new FBI director, hire that guy. He'll get it right. I was interviewed and then the offer went somewhere else. Were you disappointed? Well, I mean, it would have been a great honor to lead an organization that I still have a lot of respect for. I do think it has some problems we got to get through here, but it's an organization that does incredible work. You know, I worked organized crime in the streets of Chicago when I was an agent. Important work. You know, we broke up international prostitution rings and drug efforts and racketeering. And, you know, I worked guys like the Johnny Apes and a guy named Diesel and No Nose DeFranzo and all of those guys. And I thought it was important for those communities to keep those communities safe. And that's what the bulk of FBI agents are doing. Remember, we lost two agents last year serving a warrant on someone who was engaged in child pornography 
ended up shooting through the door and killing both of those agents. And so this is still dangerous work. It's very dangerous work. People forget about that part when all of this other nonsense that's going on today overshadows that. We need to really remember the important work of the FBI is happening by individual agents all over the country taking pretty big risks to get it right. Congressman, I think most people, most Americans believe that most of the folks working in the FBI are great people doing great work. But when it comes to the upper echelon in leadership, is the FBI politicized? Well, I went through a transition on this, Tony. And when it first came out and there were some accusations that that was happening, I thought, boy, that's not the FBI worked in. And I can't imagine that happening. And I defended them. I really did. But once you know facts started coming out, it was very concerning to me that senior level headquarters people, not working agents out there, were making decisions that didn't seem consistent with FBI ethics and values. And so I do think something's wrong. And then the pattern just got worse. It wasn't a one-off or a two-off. The pattern got worse. Let me give a great example. I mean, there's judgment in, you know, yes, the, you know, the president of the United States should not have taken the documents. He doesn't own those once he's not president. Shouldn't have them in his house. It does present some security issues. Got it all. But there was a raid that happened. And, you know, dispensing of justice is sometimes equally important on justice itself and how it happens is equally important. And officers on the street make that judgment every day. FBI agents make that judgment every day. I'll give you a quick story, if I may, about that. It's an Mm -hmm. FBI agent. I was very young. I just came out. It was one of my first arrests. I go out with a crew of agents and we're going to get a guy who was a low-level loan sharking guy for the mob in Chicago. Not a particularly dangerous guy, at least at that point in his career, he wasn't. And so we go to arrest him and I put the handcuffs on him. And of course, you know, the family's in the front part of the house and there's lots of crying and tears going on. And of course, the neighbors are starting to gather around out front. And I got a guy handcuffed, his hands behind his back, and I'm going to trance him out through the living room, down the stoop and out into the street and put him in the car. And I had an older agent grab me and say, uh, hey, young fellow, what do you hope to accomplish here? And I'm so I'm justice. We're going to get this guy and we're going to book him. <laughs> down. We're going to take him downtown. <laughs> he said, OK, that might be right. He said, but what would it cost you to not embarrass him in front of his family and his neighbors? Right. Because he's got kids. And mm-hmm. maybe if we're nice enough, I mean, he's still getting arrested. No nice thing about that. And maybe he'll come back and help us. And so we took the handcuffs around the back and put them in the front. We put a jacket over his hands. I went out and got the car and brought it around the back part of the house. We took him out the back, put him in the car. We still got to the same place, right? Dispense, mm-hmm. that's a judgment issue. And that taught me a lot. And that influenced the rest of my FBI career on how to handle situations like that. And it seems to me somebody should have stopped and said, what are we trying to accomplish here? And is this the best way to do it? It sounds to me like they made a political decision, not a dispensing of justice decision. And that's what troubles me. And that came from Department of Justice. Yeah, I'm sure there's some FBI guys said, let's do it. The Department of Justice all signed off on that all the way up. And I think that we are going to have to take a hard look at what kinds of decisions in the political sphere is happening at the senior levels of the FBI. And I hate to say that. What do you think about when you see the Russia collusion story, the server issue with Hillary Clinton, the Hunter Biden laptop, the former president's home in Mar-a-Lago being raided? What do you think about when you see all that stuff? Well, here's the thing. Perception is reality. And if the FBI wants the support of the American people, the perception has to be that they don't pick a team in any dispensing of justice. And that's just not where they are today. And clearly they haven't made those decisions that would allow the public to go, okay, they're being fair and balanced. 
it's hard to say that today. We're talking with former Congressman Mike Rogers. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on here in the state of Michigan. We're also going to ask him about some other projects he's working on. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer legal counsel to businesses, families, individuals, and municipalities throughout Michigan with offices in Lansing, Farmington Hills, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Marquette, and Holland. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. Thanks so much for joining in our conversation with former Congressman Mike Rogers. Congressman, when we had the last gubernatorial election, I said that for that election, and I'll say this for this election, no one can beat Gretchen Whitmer except for Mike Rogers. There really isn't anyone on the Republican side that has the name recognition, the experience, Have you thought about running for governor? Oh, boy, not in a while. And, you know, my business enterprise for Ironnet Cybersecurity, and now I'm on another company board called Constella Intelligence that does deep and dark webs. I had to come out of the state for a while to do that. And so it hadn't really been top of my mind. And that's very flattering of you to say that. I do think there's probably some good candidates out there. The problem is we've ruined the environment for good people to stand up and say, I'm going to do this. And I think that has probably hurt some of our chances, although this new gubernatorial nominee has certainly given it a good cut. As we think about Republicans, and I'm dating myself, but I think back to when we had the auto bailout and you as a Republican voted for it. Obviously, it was good for Michigan, but you took a lot of shots with that. In retrospect, would you do it all over again? Well, as I said at the time, I did not like the way the Obama administration had set up the way to provide assistance to the automotive companies. So I looked at it through this lens. And again, I didn't think it was perfect. I didn't really care for a lot of parts of it, but I looked at it through the national security lens. If we were going to further diminish our ability to produce things in the United States, and you have to remember, Tony, I was one of the first guys to come out and say, China's a problem and it's getting worse. This was back when Mm -hmm. I was back in 2010 when nobody was talking about China in the way I was. I looked at that and said, if we get this wrong, we could be in serious trouble on our ability to manufacture things in order to compete. And I'll give you one great example as a result of that is when the Ypsilanti plant flipped over and stopped making automotive stuff and started making PPE for hospitals and other things, right? Ventilators Mm -hmm. and other things that where we couldn't get it and China wasn't going to give it to us. To me, that was the perfect example of, hey, listen, yes, it's not my normal track to do those things. I'm the same guy that voted against the Wall Street bailout. I thought that was terrible the way they did that. And I was one of the few Republicans that voted against that. And so I don't know. I looked at it. I'm not sure I would change my mind if I was king for a day. I would have completely changed the way we would have afforded them an opportunity to get loans and not be involved in their business. But at the end of the day, I think it's one of the few things that allowed us to continue to be competitive in a place I know China wants to take it. 
they want to take all of it. What do you think about the defund the police movement and all the crime that seems to be happening, especially in our bigger cities and with all the violence that's happening against all these officers? Well, listen, when you make police officers the bad guys, you're going to get a lot more real bad guys. And guess what we did? We got a lot more real bad guys. I mean, if you were a police officer in some of these places where they were shouting defund the police and how terrible they are and bad they are, I'm not sure I'd even, you know, would you get out of the car? And that's what exactly what was happening. They're thinking, hey, I got a family. I'm going to go home to my family. I'm not going to get whatever, some kind of repercussion for actually trying to do my job. I think it was a disaster. I think it was emotional. I think it was very knee jerk. And then we found all of these corporate folks who were trying to get, you know, virtue signaling credit in their social media platforms kind of said, oh, this is the right direction. It was a disaster. It continues to be a disaster. You can't allow people the ability to commit crimes and not feel like there's going to be a consequence. And that's exactly what they did. And we're still feeling the reverberations of this. This is going to take some time to work through it and reorient. And I'm not saying police officers didn't do something stupid along the way, but we have ways to get after that. We absolutely do. But what they did is said, well, every police officer is bad and every engagement with the police is bad. Therefore, we shouldn't have any. That is a serious mistake of which we will pay for for a decade in some of these. And by the way, impacted the poorest communities first. That's the crazy thing about this. Mm -hmm. Congressman, you're part of leadership to ensure the American dream. It's called LEAD. Tell us about that. Well, my wife and I looked at the political landscape about, I don't know, a year and a half ago and said, it's unbelievable in all our conversations how many people are just politically exhausted dealing with all the craziness that we see in politics today and how everybody fights about everything for every reason. And no one can agree on just about anything moving forward. And people were just becoming politically discouraged as a result. And so what we said is, listen, our adversaries are trying to tear us apart. They are. China's using social media. Russians are using social media, trying to get us not to like each other. We shouldn't do the job for them. We need to start reminding ourselves of what an amazing place the United States is, because it's more than people. It's more than geography. It's an idea. And that idea can be fragile. And what we're seeing now is people willing to pull it apart for very partisan reasons. You know, that's kind of the extreme of both ends. And so we started this to say, listen, we're going to reignite people's passion in the American dream. We're going to remind people that America is bigger than her problems. And that it doesn't matter if your zip code or where you're from, whatever your ethnicity is, religion doesn't matter in the United States. You can be your own person, do your own good and do your own way and live the American dream. But we have to believe it and we have to live it. And that's what we're trying to do is help communicate that. Folks can go to leadamerica.org to learn more. Final question for you. It's about the media, Congressman. How do you think we do in the media in regards to covering news, business, politics? Well, you know, I've wrestled with this, I'm sure, as you have as well. And there's a difference between opinion media, which I get and I understand and I was a part of. And then there's news media that's supposed to be as non-biased as you can get. And I think over time, the competition for eyeballs, and I argue social media, websites, all of those things, blogging, all added to this confusion of how do I keep eyeballs on my news program? If I'm giving boring news that's just facts and let you decide, am I going to have enough viewers to keep doing this? And so I think for that reason alone, we've kind of split. I call it affirmation news. Now people go to where they already believe it's true. 
to hear what I already believe is true on the news versus someone challenging me with facts that I may or may not agree with, but I'd have to do my own decision. And I think that's the changing face of media. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I do think social media is a huge and growing problem in the United States because of all the external influence factors happening and how they're targeting our kids younger and younger and younger. We're going to have to do something about it. We've been talking with former Michigan Congressman Mike Rogers. Congressman, the next time you're in Michigan, I hope I could sit down with you and have a beer or cocktail. It'd be awesome. I would love it. And I'm buying the first round. All right. We appreciate your time, sir. Thank you so much. (laughs) Hey, thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network.